0: Jesus will still be. There, but no one else is true. When you're just not sure
1: have your bibles let's turn to luke chapter 15 this morning luke chapter 15 i don't know if you noticed it you may not have seen it especially if you're over here but before she started singing she did this kind of moved her hair back away 74 years old i've never had to move my hair back away from my eyes Maybe in glory that something like that will happen. I took my first church in 1976, I think it was, 79, I forget right now. But I've been in ministry since those days. And one of the things that I've always been cautious about is who I invited to preach from my pulpit, our church pulpit. And so. When a pastor calls me and says, could you come and supply for me, I'm always honored to, to be asked. This is a a sacred place, a sacred obligation, and I appreciate Brother Barry uh, asking me to come and be here this morning. I hope you will be here tonight uh, to support your in-church pastor and, and to encourage him and bless him and let him know uh, that you're behind him. So be here tonight for all the services. Luke chapter 15, if you're familiar with this chapter at all, you know there are three parables that are given here. In verses 4 through 7, there's the parable of the lost sheep. In verses 8 and 9, there's the parable of the lost coin. And most of the chapter, verses 11 through 32, is the parable of the lost sons we lose sight that there were two sons sometimes mentioned in this parable because most of the attention is put on the son that we call the prodigal or the wasteful son. As I studied this, I came across two quotes from different people. One said this parable of the prodigal son is the crown and the pearl of all parables. In other words, it is the for lack of a better phrase, the best parable that Jesus spoke in his ministry. Someone else has said, this parable is the most divinely tender and most humanly touching story ever told on earth. So sometimes we read through scripture and we know it and we rush through it or we don't look for any further depth to it. But people have seen this parable as something that is precious to the Lord, something that teaches us a lesson and shows us the grace of God. What's the reason for this parable? Jesus didn't do things just so he had something to do. He did them because there was a reason for it. Look at chapter 15 and verses one and two. Then drew near unto him all the publicans, that's tax collectors, which the Jews hated because they were Jewish people working for the Roman government, and stealing from their own people. So they were publicans and sinners to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners, and eateth with them. And then Jesus spoke these three parables. So the reason for the parables is that the Pharisees could not understand, if Jesus was the Messiah, why he was eating with sinners, and with publicans. Uh, You go back and you read in Mark chapter 2 verse 16, in Matthew chapter 9 verse 11, and these things are said over and over again. It's a way of criticizing Jesus. So why did Jesus come and eat with the lowest of the low? Why did he associate himself with sinners? I think first of all, he had a message to proclaim and That message was one of love. We are average people, if I can use that term. We are common people. We, for the most part, have never lived in sin. We are not living in sin now. We're in a church where people love us. We've been taught that God loves us. But there are people in this world that have no idea how much God loves us. They have no idea that they are... Personally loved by God. And Jesus came to give that message to these publicans and sinners and to all that would hear the message. Charles Stanley was talking about that this morning. You were loved by God. You were loved by God. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5 and verse 8, God commendeth his love toward us, not when we were perfect, not when we were sinless, but he give us he commended his love toward us and that while we, all of us, all of mankind were sinners, Christ died for us. So we have nothing to promote ourselves to God and so say you ought to love me, you ought to save me. But God came because He loved us. For God so loved the world. But He also ate with publicans and sinners because He had a mission to sinners. That mission, motivated by love, Luke chapter 19 and verse 10. For He, for the Son of Man, has come to seek and to save that which was lost. I'm going to ask you a dumb question. How many of you have ever lost anything? All right. Put your hand. Does, let me ask you, does it worry you when you lose something? Yeah? I'm a big-time worrier when uh, I lose something. I just about drive Betty crazy. Where are my glasses? Where are my, where are my car keys at? Have you seen that screwdriver that I used yesterday? The frustrating thing, and it's happened more than once, Betty, have you seen my glasses? Yeah, they're on top of your head. Oh, man. You ever been there? Yeah. All right, so we, we begin to search for those things that were lost. And I have searched, and I have searched, and I have searched. I, st- I have something that's been missing for months, and I still say, Lord, help me to find that. I've torn the house apart. I've looked in the vehicles. I can't find it. We search diligently for those things that mean something to us or that are valuable. And the human being is the most valuable, if you will, animal on the planet Earth. And Jesus came to seek and to save us. Doesn't matter where we're moral, doesn't matter whether we're ungodly, He came to save us. So, that's the basis of these, of these parables. And as we come to these parables, I want to come down to verse 15, or excuse me, verse 11, Luke chapter 15, verse 11. And Jesus said, "A certain man had two sons. Remember, two sons, we may not look at the second son, but two sons." And the younger of them said to his father, <coughs> "Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me, and he divided unto him his living." The father had the privilege to divide his inheritance to his children at any time he wanted to. When they turned 15 or 21 or whatever it was, he could have said, I'm going to divide your inheritance. I'm going to give your inheritance to you now. But here's here's a young man that could not wait, would not wait, didn't want to wait until he reached a certain age. Or until he'd accomplished something that his father may have been proud of, he wanted his inheritance now. What he was saying, from what I could read of commentators and what we might infer, is that he says, Dad, I wish you were dead. If you were dead, I could receive my inheritance. There's two things, but I'm sure there are many more that you could think of. That was insensitive. To the goodness of his father. We'll talk about this in just a minute. But this son had it good. Yes, I think he worked in the fields. He did what his father told him. Uh, He had clean sheets. He had nice clothes to wear. Never thinking about where all of that came from. It came from the good hand of his father. And don't we get like that sometimes with our Heavenly Father? We're insensitive we're insensitive to what he does for us. I drive a 2017 Grand uh, Caravan van. We bought it used, it's, 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 so it's nowhere near used. But I say, Lord, I, I wish you'd let me drive our Mercedes Benz. You know, that would be so cool to be able to drive. Or Lord, let me drive a Hummer. I'd like to have a Hummer. had a friend years and years ago, he bought a Hummer. And uh, I saw him several months after he bought the Hummer. I said, well, how do you like your Hummer? He says, I had to get rid of it, Says I couldn't afford to put gas in it. (laughs) Now, I don't know if this is true or not, it seems ridiculous, but somebody told me that an oil change and that kind of thing that you do on a Mercedes-Benz is way up into the hundreds and hundreds of dollars. So my point is, I'm grateful for my 2017 van. I'm grateful. I started to say that I'm not driving a Ford, but I won't go there. I'm grateful. I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for that van. If God had not given us the money to buy the van, we wouldn't have it. So I could be insensitive to the. To the things of God. And then tying into that, we can be selfish. We can be selfish. God, I want you to give me this. Not for God's glory, but so that I can, so that I can use it for selfish purposes. Everything we have, God gives to us to be used for His purpose. Doesn't matter what it is, he gives us those things. So the son, the son's goal was to get what he was to inherit and leave the father. Isn't that in a sense what what we have done? We have left the Father, we have walked away from God. Isaiah 53, 6, I'm sure you know the verse, All we like sheep have gone astray, and we have turned every one to his own way. There's none that seeketh after God, no, not one. We're born in sin. We're born in sin. You go to the the nursery after a baby's been born, and they've got him uh, all wrapped up in a pretty blanket and a blue or pink cap on his head. You look at that little baby and, in the crib, you say, oh, what a pretty baby. What a beautiful baby. And he is. She is. But that is a sinner laying in that crib. And that sin of that sinner will be manifest as that baby grows older and older and older and rebels against God in his sin until someone comes along and tells that child, that young person, God loves you. And God died on Calvary that you might be saved. So this is the request of the Son. Give me my portion. Give me my p- now. I don't know that you've thought about this, but it's not wrong to pray for things that, Lord, I, I Lord, I need a new car. I need a new stove. Lord, I need a new roof. God says that we're to bring all of our needs to him and he'll supply them according to his riches in Christ Jesus. But it's that selfishness that enters into the heart of, of us sometimes. That's what's wrong. So let's go on and look at what this parable has to say to us. Look at verse, uh, go back and uh, verse Verse uh, 12. So he gets his inheritance, and it says, And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And so, he, I don't know what he does, but after he gets his inheritance, he does some things, and he's decided, today's the day I'm leaving. Today's the day I, 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 I claim my freedom from the house and will and wishes of my father. And so he makes his plan to leave his father's house. But I want you to notice, in a sense, he had left his father's house emotionally and spiritually before he ever walked out the front door. You can come to Hopewell Baptist Church and sit under Brother Barry Brother Holt, or this revival speaker that's coming, but you're already gone into the wilderness. You sing the songs, you, you clap your hands, you, you raise them high, but you're already in a far country. You're just waiting for the opportunity to step out and make a move away from God. Backslidden, if you want to use that term. So this, this young man, even in his father's house, he had rebelled against his father. His heart was away from his father. And look at what it says. He gathered his substance with riotous living. I don't know what, what is riotous living. Just, if we didn't say anything, it would say it's, it's living outside the will of God. In 1968, my brother joined the Army and went after boot camp and different things. He went straight to Vietnam. In 1969, I had finished Bible school. I'd gotten my draft notice and things, and and uh fortunately I had listed in the Air Force and never had to go to Vietnam. But then I thought, you know, I had lived at home for 21 years. I had I had been at trinity baptist church from the time i was 8 years old to the time i was 21 i had never i had never had a sip of beer i never had any whiskey back in those days you know the big thing way way back in those days to rebel was to was to smoke you know and i thought boy i'm going to get away from home and i'm i'm going to live like i want to for a while and i remember i remember the night I, I drank my first beer i mean they can advertise all they want to and maybe you're of different taste that i have but it was not good it was not good i've had a couple three glasses of, of booze whiskey with other things in it it's the way they make a drink I didn't enjoy that. But anything outside of God's will for our life, can we call that riotous living? Because we're rebelling against God? It's going to be my life the way I want it. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 25, it uses the phrase pleasures of sin for a season. Pleasures of sin for a season. Are any of my other grandsons in here? Anybody? Just John Isaac? All right, I can talk about John Isaac and not get in trouble with the others. John Isaac, how old are you? 17. Yeah? He looks like he's about 25 or 30, doesn't he? We, we took a trip up to my younger daughter's house a few months ago, and it worked out so that John Isaac could go with us. And so we got up there, and John Isaac helped my son-in-law fix some electrical things because my son-in-law, who's over 40, didn't know how to fix them. Very smart, but he didn't know how to take care of these electrical problems. And so he'd say to John Isaac, how should we fix this? And John Isaac would say, this is what we need to do. I've talked to Bill. I've talked to Garrett. If you're going to do it, do it right. And I don't know how many times I've gone the cheaper way and regretted it. Because I didn't hire somebody that would do it right. I saved 50 bucks today. And I spent 200 to get it done right. Right. So what I'm saying is you can enjoy your sin now but one day what is it? The roosters will come home the chickens will come home to roost sin will not last you sin will not give you joy then look at verses 17 through 19 17 through 19 Well, let's go back to verse 14 and when he had spent all there arose a mighty famine in that land he began to be in want And he went and joined himself to a citizen of the country. And he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would have filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat. And no man gave him thereof. So I think all of us know that Jews and swine, Jews and pigs don't mix. But he did something that he had been taught not to do all of his life. Swine is a dirty animal. Swine is an unclean animal according to the law. But that's that's all he could find. And it says, he got so hungry, he would have eaten pig food. All his friends have deserted him. All his money is gone. So, I'll eat pig food. But look at verse 17. It says, and when he came to himself, he said, how many hired servants of my fathers have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger. So, there comes a time, When we see his repentance. His repentance. And we see that in verses 20 through 21. He says in verse 18, That I will arise and go to my father, And will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. And I am no more worthy to be called thy sons. Make me as one of thy hired servants. So we see he's reasoning with himself. The Holy Spirit is convicting him of uh, his sin against his father. And so he begins... To make up this speech that he's gonna give to his father. In my study of this, I found out some things that I never considered before. One of the things is that when he left his father's home, he shamed his father. Not only did he shame his father, but he shamed his village by the way he had treated the father and by the way that he had left home. The penalty for a rebellious son, according to Deuteronomy, is he could have been stoned. But his father doesn't do that. And probably because his father didn't do that, the villagers didn't do it. And so he goes on his way. He spends all that he has. He's wandering around in... in in the mud like a pig, and he finally realizes, he comes to himself through the work of the Holy Spirit, and says, this is stupid. You won't find that word stupid in the Greek, but I used it. This is stupid. I'm going to go home, and I'm going to fall on my knees, and I'm going to beg my father to take me back. And so he began to rehearse his speech to his father. So he goes back, and we've read verses through 21, and uh, verse 20, he says, And he arose, and he came to his father. But when he was a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion on him and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Isn't it just fortunate that he was looking out for a son that day? I think every day that the sun arose, he sat somewhere so that he could see that road. And his prayer was, today, dear Lord, let my son come home. Today, Lord, let my son come home. Years ago, I got a call about a relative of mine. And... uh, He'd been in a terrible automobile accident and didn't know if he would live. Now, I was not close to this relative, a young young man. I was not close to him. But that just, that just hit me. They're not sure that he's going to live. And I remember we lived in a single wide trailer in Panama City, and I remember walking up and down that trailer at times and just praying, God, let him live. God, let him live. God, let him live. And and tears coming down my cheeks. So the son, the son returns. And what does it say in verse 20? And he ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. It wasn't just a one-time kiss. He bathed his son in kisses. I came across this quote and I really like this. It said, God kisses the past into forgetfulness. God kisses the past into forgetfulness. When that boy came home, that boy began to utter that speech and he began kissing. All, All that hurt, all that anger perhaps on the part of the Father was just washed away because his son had come home and he loved his son not only was was the son forgiven but his sins were forgotten the Bible says that when we get saved our sins are moved as far as east is from the west our sins are hidden behind the back of God so he comes home he comes on, go down and look at verse 21. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and I am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said unto servants, before the, before the son ever gets through with his speech, but the father said unto servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him, and bring a ring <coughs> for his hand and shoes. For his feet, and bring hither the fatter calf and kill it, and let us eat it and be merry. For this was my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they begin to be merry. So, whether this is the son represents a lost sinner or the son represents a a backsliding sinner, a son of God who went out of God's will. He came back, and God took him back. He came back, and God took him back. But there had to be a confession on the part of the Son. There had to be repentance on the part of the Son. And when those things took place, there was restoration. Familiar verse, 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. One of the things i found in my life is if I I sin just briefly or if I get into a pattern of sin and the Holy Spirit begins to convict me and the Holy Spirit begins to say, you need to confess that sin and return to the Father and walk in fellowship with Him, the devil will say, he's not going to forgive you. The devil will say, how can you claim to be a Christian and live like that? God's angry with you. But if we confess our sin, that word confess means to see it as God sees it, to see it in all of its seriousness. If we see our sin like that and we honestly confess it, he says, God will forgive us Turn back to chapter 15 and verse 7. 15 and verse 7. So what happens when this son returns? Verse 7. Jesus says, I say to you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than 99 uh, just persons who need no repentance. Then look at verse 10. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repented. So this young man returns to his father. All is forgiven. He's had a ring placed on his finger. He's had a robe on his shoulders. He has shoes on his feet, which den- denotes uh, he's the son. And there's joy in the presence of the angels. Who's in the presence of the angels? We can say, well, sure, it's God. It's God. And he is but well, perhaps we can say that it's the saints too i don't know what happens in heaven but can can you imagine and, and this is just my thinking that in the presence of the angels there there's saints and there's an old grandma there's a there's a mother there's a father and while they were on earth, they prayed and they begged and they pleaded. They did everything to get their children to come to Christ, and their children would not. Time passed. The mother, the father, whoever goes on to be with the Lord. And the Lord one day, again, this is me. You're not going to find this in Scripture. This is me. One day, God calls. An assembly before the throne of God. The angels are there. God, of course, is on His throne. And He calls someone He says, John, I've got something to tell you. Mary, I have something to tell you. Your son got saved today. Your daughter got saved today. That child that you gave up on got saved today. Don't you think there would be joy in the presence of the angels at if, if that if time kind of use if that were to happen? There are sons out there that need somebody to talk to them. There are daughters out there that need somebody to talk to them, to love them, to embrace them. Folks, if the church isn't doing that, if I'm not doing it, and if you're not doing it, and if somebody else is not doing it, who, who's going to do it? There's nobody outside of Christianity that's going to care for their souls. That's up to us. And so we need to be reaching for that lost son. Go ahead and read about the, the other son. He was the Pharisee, if you will. He hated his brother. He didn't want him to come home. He liked the status quo. And we can't become like that. We can't be like that. Well, you know, that person does this and that person does that. That person doesn't, they ought to go to hell. But Jesus came to seek him to save that which was lost. That's right. You've got to reach out to him. Would you bow your heads in prayer, please? Heads are bowed. And our eyes are closed. We'll going to ask our musician to come. I know some folks in this church I'm at the place where I know you more by face than I do my name. But I don't know everybody. And so I'd like to do something that I don't know that that I've done in a long time. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if you have never received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, I'm not saying you belong to a church. I'm not saying you're a good person I'm just saying, but if you recognize that you're a sinner this morning and you've never asked Jesus Christ to come into your heart and be your Savior, would you, would you follow me in this prayer in your heart? Dear Lord, I know I'm a sinner. And I know I deserve to go to hell because of my sin. But right now, sitting here in Hopewell Baptist Church, Right now, sitting here in Hopewell Baptist Church, I ask Jesus to come into my heart and be my Savior. To help me to live a life that's pleasing to Him and that will take me into heaven when I die. If you will say that prayer and mean it with all your heart, Jesus will save you. The Bible says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And if you've prayed that prayer, you are now in the family of God. You are a son of the Heavenly Father. In just a moment, we're going to have a invitation. And if God spoke in your heart about anything, I'm going to invite you to come forward and just kneel around this platform, sit on one of these front pews, And just just talk to the Lord for a few minutes. And get things right in your life. Ask God to give you victory over that which is discouraging you. Ask God to help you to to deal with some person that you need to talk to, but for some reason you're, you're hesitant to do that. Whatever God speaks to your heart, would you come as God leads you? Dear Heavenly Father, I hope all of us will leave this place in a better relationship with you than we were in when we came into this church. God, burden our heart for all souls. May we not just talk about Lord, but may we do it. And may Jesus be glorified in Jesus' name. With heads bowed and eyes closed,